Hey everyone, and welcome to the Uncorked Corner podcast, where we cover the full spread of food and beverage industry topics. My name is Bianca, PR and marketing professional by day and food and wine connoisseur by night. And my name is Nick, an accountant with a passion for barbecue, beer, and whiskey. Today, we're excited to welcome our first guest, Justin Pelletier. Justin is the COO of Neshoba Valley Winery, Bolton Beer Works, and Neshoba Valley Distillery. We will be introducing you to the history, happenings, and more particularly, spirit of this Bolton, Massachusetts-based gem. During this podcast, we will discuss what brought Neshoba Valley Winery into the distilling business, talk through the various spirits and beverages that they have to offer, and even get into how the distillery is contributing to the fight against COVID-19. With that being said, let's welcome Justin to the show. Justin, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Awesome, thanks. Uh, we're excited that you could jump on. It was great uh, chatting with you before about the winery, and we're really looking forward to learning more about the distillery, um, since we didn't really get to chat much about it on our last interview. So we kind of just wanted to, you know, j- jump into your background, but I'll let Nick uh, kick us off. Sure. So kind of as you guys did before with the winery, do you want to walk us through a little bit how you guys got into this distilling business and branch out past the wines? I know you guys do brewing too, but I think today we're going to focus mainly on the distillery side of things. Sure. Um, so when my family took over the winery, it was uh, located on a 52 acre apple orchard. And one of the first things we noticed is that there was a ton of waste um our orchard is currently and was then only a pick your own orchard. And so a lot of the apples were not being harvested by our customers and would fall on the ground or not be harvested. We were trying to find ways that we could actually use the fruit that we were growing. Um, And we came up with the idea of using apples to be able to create different kinds of spirits. Uh, The first spirit that we produced was an apple brandy. And then we started venturing off from there. And one of the uh, more interesting things we saw in the market was the uh, need for craft vodka. So in 2003, uh, after the fall, we decided to start producing some vodka made 100% from apples grown right on our farm. Uh, we were combining apples that weren't harvested by uh, our customers and the dropped apples that we would pick up the next day and then uh, process the same way we've been processing apples when we were making wine for a long time before then so we kind of knew what we were doing we fermented apples before then it was just thrown in the still and running the still uh we originally were triple distilling our vodka through our 80 gallon pot still but we've stepped up a little bit added a few new pieces of equipment last year like i uh mentioned previously we added about a million dollar expansion onto the distillery putting in a new 250 gallon vendome pot still and a Vendome continuous column still, which is one of the only ones you'll really find up in the New England area. Would you say in the vodka itself, can you taste the apple or is it primarily just the ingredient that you're using? Vodka is supposed to be a neutral spirit. It doesn't have as much, um, it doesn't taste like a typical vodka, I'll say, but the cool thing about our vodka is, is it's gluten-free from start to finish. A lot of the um, vodkas that are marketed currently as gluten-free are originally started as grains or potatoes or anything like that. But the, the distillation process does, in fact, remove gluten. But our product is uh, never from gluten. Uh, it's 100% apples start to finish. So 
So that was a, a pretty cool thing that I, uh, something that we do here. I know you mentioned a bit about your new equipment, the distillery equipment. How did you go about getting that uh, procured? You guys had that all custom made. You know, did you bring someone in? Yep. To do that? So, yeah, it's all custom made. It's uh, Vendome Copper is the biggest steel producer. Uh, they're located in Louisville, Kentucky. So we actually flew down there, um, drove down there, and uh, was able to go to the uh, factory and talk with the manufacturers and kind of give them an idea of what we were looking for. And they came back with a few designs, and we were able to actually go back down again and see it in production, which was pretty cool. Cool. And I know I saw on your website, you guys are the first farmer distiller in Massachusetts. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, so that's uh, really just with the apple orchard that we had, we were taking the apples that we grew on our farm and turning them into spirits. So we kind of created our own category of uh, distilleries and that's, the, that's where that license kind of derived from. You have a pretty expansive line of spirits as well. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the other spirits that you offer in addition to, of course, that traditional vodka that you're offering, but a little bit of everything else that you have, um, what would you say is, is a good range? Sure. Um, our whiskey, our five-year stimulus whiskey, and our 11-year stimulus whiskey are some of the best whiskeys, I think, that are, are produced in this area. Um, they're actually aged in a combination of new oak, uh, American new oak, and also retired wine casks from our winery, which imparts a super unique, uh, unique flavor profile on the spirit, which is something very unique to our distillery. And it's very unique to each spirit that we do produce. Um, each cask is hand-selected by myself, and each cask is uh, selected in order to impart a specific flavor that we're looking for. For the whiskeys, I like to stick with more of the, the red, the Malbecs, the Cab Sobs, real nice high tannin fruit that went into those barrels, Cab Francs. And then for our apple brandies, we actually do age a few of our apple wines, such as the Baldwin, and then other fruit wines like dry pear. Uh, so I actually use those kind of casks for our apple brandies, our pear brandies, and our other range of brandies. One of the um, more interesting products I would say that we produce right now is called Northern Comfort. It's a, it's a spin on the cognac. So it's actually five year aged apple brandy. Um, we then take it out of oak and rectify it over the course of several months. And when we're rectifying it, besides just using uh, reverse osmosis water that we typically use to rectify the spirit, we're actually using a maple syrup that's grown right in Massachusetts and a little bit of orange peel. Um, but to me, that's one of the spirits that just screams New England, um, apple brandy, uh, from apples grown right here in Massachusetts and then rectified down with, um, maple syrup produced right here in Massachusetts. We're also coming out with quite a few new products soon. We'll be releasing a rum in the next couple of months, a white rum. Then we also have some rum and oak that'll be released in three to five years. We started producing bourbon, uh, about two years ago. So it's the first bourbon barrel is about to be pulled out of oak. Um, so that's very, uh, very unique and interesting. And bourbon is one of my favorite spirits and one of my family's favorite spirits. And so that's something that we're pretty passionate about. And our, our continuous column still has allowed us to make that process a lot easier, a lot more efficient and a lot more um, historical. That's the traditional way of distilling bourbons and whiskeys first through that continuous column still you running a stripping run and then put into the pot still. Very cool. Bianca knows I'm a huge whiskey fan, so that's exciting stuff. Can't wait to try that. I also noticed that uh, yeah, you guys have some cool um, mixed beverages. We, we got the opportunity to try it. 
you guys have some cool mixed beverages. Who are the brains behind, you know, some of those? Uh, so at the winery, uh, we also have a restaurant. It's called Jay's Restaurant. And up there is where we really play around with the, the mixology end of the spirits. Um, I'll give Christine a lot of credit. She's our restaurant manager. She's been with us forever. She, uh, she goes home after work and she comes up with a lot of these very creative spirits. Then she'll bring them down to us and we'll play around with the, the recipes that she produces and tweak things here and there. But I would say most of those uh, mixed beverages are a tribute to her, her test runs at home and then bringing them down. One of the cool things we were doing during the, uh, during this pandemic was that when our restaurant was closed, we were looking for different ways to utilize our staff in order to keep them on. And Christine stepped up in a big way and started doing these cocktail kits that we were able to sell quite a few of. They were taking the the recipes that she had created previously, and we were just hand bottling them. And uh, people seemed to really enjoy them. One one of the top hits was uh, our margarita, and it was actually made out of the, the apple vodka that we produced, and it's all fresh juice. And we're doing some pretty cool things. We actually just purchased a canning line. Um, so a few of the new areas that we're going to be diving into besides just canned beer is going to be hopefully soon um, some cocktails uh, that are in cans and all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty, pretty interesting and exciting for us. Uh, it is cool stuff. I know my girlfriend is a big Moscow Mule fan. So we always have some of those craft oh, yeah. cocktails in the fridge. So yeah, yeah definitely cool stuff. Uh, so what is your, uh, your best selling bottle? What's your most popular spirit or whiskey that you guys have? Uh, the top three are the five-year stimulus whiskey. That's number one. Number two is the Northern Comfort. Uh, and a close third is the vodka. Is there anything that you foresee coming out in the next year that's new? Uh, I think the bourbon is going to be a pretty big hit. Uh, I got a couple interesting bourbon ideas with some pretty cool labels that uh, I'm not going to share quite yet because we're <laughs> in the process of still getting everything approved. But it's uh it's very unique to the boston area and it's uh it's a spirit that really speaks to the people of massachusetts and the people of new england and uh speaks to the roots of this area which i think is pretty cool the label is pretty cool and it's a very unique design and recipe that is i've never seen before that's awesome um the, that. yeah so hopefully We'll probably be doing, so we have one barrel of bourbon that's uh, ready to pull out in August, and it's only a 55-gallon barrel, so we'll probably do most of it as a traditional bourbon, but I'll probably take uh, about 10 or 15 gallons and try to come, come out with that new product that I just was describing. Cool. And uh, so I also saw on your website, you know, with all the COVID-19, the lockdown, everything going on, you guys have started branching a bit into the hand sanitizer game. So I saw that you partnered with some local breweries and everything. It's pretty cool stuff. You want to walk us through how you uh, hooked up with those breweries and, you know, what's had to change, what you guys have had to do to sort of revamp your production and to help out with that? Sure. So um, in March, when this whole thing kind of started kicking off, my dad and myself were talking and they had just passed the ordinance allowing the distilleries to be able to produce hand sanitizer. And uh, when you're, when you're distilling the, there's a portion of the spirit called the tails, which is the end part that you're collecting. And it's um, 
not the flavor profile that you want. It's the lower alcohol than we're typically collecting. And we have a lot of those tails laying around and we end up redistilling them uh, with each batch. So like we have whiskey tails, we'll throw it in with the next whiskey run. But we had quite a few of those tails laying around. We were just talking, spitballing ideas at the end of the day, like we usually do. And he, he was, he told me, he's like, tomorrow when you come in, why don't you throw them all, all the, all our tails in the pot still and, and see if we can start producing some of this hand sanitizer. So in order to produce the hand sanitizer, we have to follow the World Health Organization formula, which was basically uh, you had to distill a spirit up to 95%, rectify it down, and then add some glycerol and hydrogen peroxide, and it had to be at least 80%. Um, and so we were started to do that, and eventually we ran out of tails to be able to distill. We started trying to think of the next cheapest option, um, the next easiest option of us to produce washes to be able to run through the still. Uh, our first thing that we were doing was we were actually fermenting straight sugar water uh, up at the brewery. So I we put a halt on basically all beer and spirits production. Our whole store was closed. The restaurant was closed. So we were trying to figure out a way to stay stay active and stay productive and try to help as many people as we could. So we started fermenting that sugar water. Uh, it was a little bit tricky. I've fermented quite a few things in uh, my lifetime and pure sugar was not one of them. So it was a little difficult to first find the proper strain. Uh, and I ended up finding a turbo yeast, which fermented it dry in about uh, 36 hours or so. So that was super helpful for us to be able to pump out as much spirit as possible. Uh, I then would take that sugar water from the brewery after it's fermented, run it through our continuous column still. I would distill that out to be about 125, 130 proof. And I then put it in our 250 gallon pot still and distill it over the course of two days through about our it's our three columns. It's about 30-ish trays, uh, or 25 trays, I should say. And then we were able to produce the 95% uh, alcohol for the hand sanitizer. At one point in time, I was producing about uh, 500 to 600 gallons of hand sanitizer in a week, uh, which we were selling, or not selling, I should say. We were basically donating it to all the hospitals around us. We were selling it at cost to hospitals and nonprofit businesses. It took us a while to be able to build inventory uh, to be able to start selling it to the public. But one of the easiest, one of the best ways and only ways we were able to do that was I could not continue to pay for making all the washes and make, I didn't have time or I didn't have anyone to help me with making the washes. And so one of the things we did was reach out to the Mass Brewers Guild Association and see if we all know beer only has a certain shelf life and with all the bars, and brew pubs shut down that we saw that there was going to be an excess, uh, a substantial excess amount of beer that was not going to be able to be consumed. And with that beer, traditionally, it's just dumped and the TTV would have to be there to view uh, breweries dumping high uh, quantity items and the TTV had been backed up for several months. And so we were fortunate enough to uh, get in contact. Our first contact was with Aeronaut Brewing over in Somerville and they donated about 6,000 gallons of hand sanitizer of uh, beer, excuse me, to, to us, which we were able to distill into hand sanitizer through that same process through the continuous column still uh, into the pot still. Um, when you're starting with a beer, it's usually around five to 8% max. Um, and when I was starting with the sugar water, I had it up to about 14%. So the yield was a little bit less, but the volume I was able to get in was much higher. We, uh, we then paired up with Wormtown, um, Ben Roche actually started with us. He's the founder of Wormtown, one of the founders of Wormtown. He started with us. Uh, he was one of our first head brewers actually at the winery. Um, and we've always had a good relationship with him. I've known him basically my entire life when he was 
brewing for us. I was probably eight years old. Um, so I've known him for a long time and we reached out and he really started to spearhead the operation. He was the one that really came in, came in and very clutch in contacting all those other local breweries. And then we just started getting in a whole bunch of, uh, beer that was going to go bad and that they could no longer sell from their production. And then they all, all the breweries started getting back from wholesale, all the beer that was on the shelf that they no longer could sell. And we kind of just started rolling from there and was able to reduce quite a, quite a bit of hand sanitizer and helped uh, quite a few people in hospitals and local and, um, essential businesses. And then we still have a pretty good supply and we're selling it to the public right now. Um, and when our store just opened up again, so onsite consumption is back and our picnic grounds are open and we have it for sale. And every time, we have a customer leave a table. We take a little spray bottle out of the hand sanitizer, wipe down all the tables and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely come in quite useful and it's a pretty cool, pretty cool project. And there's something that I was pretty proud of that we were able to do during these very difficult times. Yeah. It's awesome that you guys are able to really help out like that and kind of get everyone going there. Um, what's the, that must be quite a change when it comes to bottling and everything. I know you guys probably didn't have a bunch of hand sanitizer bottles on tap. So what did you guys have to do in order to uh, get all that and then be able to really distribute this to hospitals and to customers? Um, well, first, I had no idea what to do. So we grabbed some of our wine bottles that I had bulk storage of, and we started just filling up wine bottles with hand sanitizer. Um, at first, we were doing it all by hand. I have a spirits bottling line. All of our spirits are currently filled by hand. And I was using that um, instead of our wine bottler because – that machine requires quite a substantial volume that we just weren't doing at the time. Um, and then as we continued to grow production, we were looking for cheaper alternatives. Uh, we stumbled across uh, two and a half gallon jugs uh, that we were able to buy wholesale wise, pretty good price. And so we started filling those up for the hospitals because they were requiring quite a large volume. And then basically we went on Amazon and started looking for some four ounce bottles to be able to sell to the public. And we stumbled across these ketchup dispensers uh, with a little lid on them and it had a squirt top. And so I bought quite a few of those and basically bought out Amazon and then started looking at other uh, places like the carry company and started buying all their four ounce bottles. And the, uh, the four ounce bottles were actually probably one of the hardest parts of this whole project trying to acquire those because everyone was in the same market and it was uh, pretty difficult to find them. But that's kind of how we got to the four ounce bottles. It's very cool. It's great how quickly you're able to turn that all around and, you know, get back at the same time. And I know you, you kind of talked yeah. about partnering with those local uh, other breweries that were able to help out, which I think is, is awesome. Do you ever work with other um, distilling brands or like beer brands to kind of partner on different things? Um, we haven't quite worked with anyone yet. Uh, we've definitely had a few uh, cider companies and other breweries reach out and try to start partnerships with them. Um, but that was all during the uh, during the heart of this whole thing during about April and May. And now that we've opened up, unfortunately, I just physically have not had enough time to get back around to that. So hopefully once things, once we get our store and our operations back lined up and everything going smoothly, we'll be able to start trying to spark up some of those partnerships again. When you are open uh, during typical times, are people allowed to go and do tours of the distillery? So uh, our old distillery was actually right on the wine production floor. So that was kind of part of the, the winery tour. Um, and once we built this new distillery, which is basically just upstairs in the same building, 
Um, we've been working on it for the last year and a half, and we're just about to open for the tours when this whole thing happens. So unfortunately, the only tours that I've given of it have been for two private events that I held for the distillery, uh, basically launching, relaunching the brand and showing off the new equipment. But besides that, unfortunately, we have not been able to give tours, but that is definitely something that we will be rolling out once this uh, thing is a little bit back to normal here. So yeah, jumping back into the booze a little bit, when it comes to your brandies, brandy's not a liquor that I really have a lot of familiarity with. How long does it take okay. that process distilling? I know you have different grades of it that are aged at different times, but what is the typical process of making one of those? Um, so it's very, it's very dependent on the style that you're looking to achieve. Uh, the fermentation process is pretty straightforward throughout the course of distilling. The distillation process is depends on how much aroma you're trying to get from it. So for brandies, for example, um, we distill them alembic style, which is not through any columns uh, and is just straight from the pot still to the condenser. Uh, it comes out at about 40%, so then we redistill that. But that's how we really get a lot of the, the fruity notes and the fruity characteristics and really let the fruit speak for itself uh, through the brandy process. Right now, all of our brandies, besides, a few, uh, besides the great brandies, are mostly aged about five to seven years. In oak, uh, the pear brandy is aged six years, and the apple brandy is five to seven. Uh, we make a cherry eau de vie, which is uh, a non-oaked brandy, basically. Um, so that one, once we distill it, we rectify it over the course of about 11 months. Um, when you rectify a spirit, the, the slower of the process, the actually the smoother the spirit will become. Um, and that's something that I've learned over the years is that you can't just dump a hundred gallons of water into a spirit and just expect it to be as good as if you added that hundred gallons over the course of 10 to 12 months. It's, uh, it's actually pretty interesting. I know, uh, you know so Bianca just messaged me. Um, she's gotten to taste some of the Northern Comfort, some of the samples you gave her. I'm a Maine. I haven't been <laughs> yeah. around, so I haven't been able to get it. But Bianca, you want to talk a little bit about that? I promise I saved some samples for Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I just, so I, I personally don't know a lot about whiskey myself. Nick is definitely the whiskey connoisseur of the two. I'm definitely more of a wino. But I... I would say out of the two that we have, we have this stimulus single malt, and then we also have the Northern Comfort. I would say the Northern Comfort was probably my favorite. I think it had some really interesting uh, tasting notes. And I'd love to um, kind of, in your opinion, learn a little bit more about like what is the key difference between the two and is one of them more popular than the other when it comes to sales? Yeah, uh, they're definitely completely, completely different spirits. The, uh, the Northern Comfort is a sweeter spirit it's, only, it's a 30% spirit. It's a cordial. Um, it's made with five-year-aged apple brandy. Uh, it's then rectified with a combination of Massachusetts maple syrup uh, from Dufresne Sugar Shack in Western Massachusetts, and then uh, reverse osmosis water. And then we actually steep uh, some orange peel in it through the course of several weeks, and that's just another layer of flavor. Uh, the Northern Comfort for me is something that I, I love in the fall it just screams fall to me and in the winter time after shoveling it's just like whiskey it warms you right up um and so those are those for the northern comfort that's one of my favorite spirits that we produce the whiskey um uh, is one of the earlier spirits that we produce and was a, a brainchild of my dad he came up with the whole recipe 
Um, he's been a big scotch guy his whole life. Um, so the whiskey we actually basically make with a little bit of that peated malt that gives that the nice peat flavor. Then, like I mentioned, it's, it's aged in a combination of new American oak, medium charred, and then uh, retired wine casts. And those wine casts really uh, impart a super unique flavor profile. It gives it a, a nice fruitiness, a little bit of spice from those spicier wines like the Malbecs and the Cab Francs. Um, and it just is a very unique part of the spirit. One thing that you didn't get to see on the um, the four ounce samples that I gave you guys was the uh, packaging. The packaging of the five year stimulus whiskey is pretty unique. We actually, after we age the spirit in that oak cask, uh, we retire it from the distillery and we actually take that oak barrel, chop it up. My brother and my grandfather are usually the two that are in charge of that. We actually make the toppers of the whiskey bottles um, from the oak cask that it was aged in, something that I think is super unique. It's a very good talking point when we're talking about the distillery. And it's something that I think um, just kind of brings the whole spirit to an end from start to finish. You, we are super open about where we source our ingredients from. And then at the end, you get to see the oak cask that uh, it was eight, the spirit was aged in. The uh, whiskey for me is one of my favorites. I'm a big whiskey bourbon guy. Uh, I think it's very smooth. It's unique, has some nice spicy notes to it. Um, but overall, I mean, you can't beat a nice whiskey on a, on a cold winter day. For sure, I completely agree with you there. That's really <laughs> cool that you get to keep pieces of the cask with the bottles too. Yeah. I go, uh, yeah. For sure. I, I haven't seen many companies or myself come across any that I've noticed do that. So I think that's definitely a really unique point about what you do there. Definitely. That's great. Yeah. So we don't want to keep you too long all night. Um, is there anything else you want to say you want to throw out there before we finish up the call tonight? Anything you want to plug her? Sure. Uh, it's definitely a very unique time for us at the Shoba uh, between this whole pandemic situation, uh, us basically having to reinvent our whole business platform again. Uh, we went from about 75% of our business being on-site consumption to now next to nothing. Uh, we just opened up about a month ago. We're still trying to work out the kinks and trying to figure out the right number of guests to have and operate in the safest environment possible. But one of the things that I think is a, a pretty exciting time for us here is that we've had to become innovative uh, the hand sanitizer was a prime example of that. Um, the Neshoba family, it's been the same group of people that work in there for a long time. Uh, it's become a family. Um, me and my dad are there every day, basically working hard. Uh, we try our best to be innovative with our products. And one of the things that we're now trying to expand onto is instead of having most of our business be for on-site consumption is trying to expand into the wholesale market. We uh, have been wholesaling wine for quite a few years one of the areas that we're now trying to definitely get into is wholesaling the distillery spirits, um, the canned cocktails that I had mentioned. We're trying to get into different bars once those get opened back up, different package stores. Um, but the Neshoba Valley brand is is ever-changing and it's very innovative and it just is always about local businesses. The reason that we started the winery was to protect that farm from becoming a real estate development and farming and the local community and shopping local is what is what our brand is all about. And I think that's ever important, especially nowadays where supporting local is, is something at the forefront of everyone's mind. And it's something that we hope 
that people continue to have at the front of their mind throughout the course of this. And once this whole pandemic is, is finished up and we have something uh, to look back on and something to say that we were proud about being able to help out, whether it be the sanitizer, whether about being giving people a, a, an experience at the winery, giving it some sort of normalcy, being able to enjoy one of our varieties of wine, beers or cocktails or spirits uh, at home with their friends and family, just giving them time to unwind and relax after a, a stressful day of the new normal. Yeah, I've, I've even had a few friends, uh, not knowing that we've, you know, chatted with you or had this on schedule, bring up that they love your wines. So uh, for anyone who hasn't read the blog, uh, there is a blog on Uncorked Corner uh, that covers more about the winery. So we will include that link for everyone at the end of the podcast so that you can kind of check it out. But I definitely encourage everyone to kind of learn more about all areas of your business because you are so unique. And being from New England, I think Nick can agree, we Definitely love to, you know, highlight local, you know, wineries, breweries, distilleries, um, anyone that we can support being from the area and just, you know, knowing how hard that you guys work and what a great place that you run over there. So I'll let Nick uh, close us yeah. out, but yeah. I'm all about it. You know, I moved from Boston up to Portland, Maine, get a little bit closer to that craft scene, you know, craft beverages are everywhere up here. It's all I drink, but mm -hmm. I absolutely love it. Um, excited you were able to take the time to talk to us tonight. We're looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, guys.